Hi, and welcome back to Gina Geek's Gems. My guest today is the lovely Vicky. Hiya. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for doing it. No problem. Vicky, we're going to go back about 200 years on your mother's wow. side of the family to Edwin Whittaker. Okay. He is your fourth great-grandfather or your great-great-great-great-grandfather. Mm, okay. Okay. And he was born around 1825 in Sandbach in Cheshire. Oh, Cheshire. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, so do you know much about Cheshire or your no, family? not much. I just remember that my gran was would talk about being from Cheshire. Okay. That's great. This is probably her family then, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you just know that she talked about from being Cheshire. You don't know anything else about it, really. Uh-huh, yeah, no, I don't know much about it. Okay, well, I knew very little about Cheshire before researching mm-hmm. your family. Uh, and I still know very little about Cheshire. <laughs> I was going to say, teach me, but no, you don't know no, anything. I don't okay. know a lot. Um, there's like, it looks lovely. It looks like a very nice place. But um, yeah, my my or your family story didn't really take me into exploring the landscapes of Cheshire. I just looked at a few maps and things like that. Okay. But Sandbach, Cheshire, I think it's a little mm-hmm. market town. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1825 and he was the son of an innkeeper, Ooh. which is pretty cool. Uh, uh-huh. But that was at the time of his baptism. But then when his brother was baptised about three years later, he was described as a labourer. So I think oh, the innkeeping okay. may not have worked out for him. <laughs> but anyway, Edwin grew up to become a shoemaker. Okay. And in 1841, he married Sarah Davies in Davenham. And she was the daughter of a joiner or a carpenter. Oh, nice. I like carpentry. That's oh, really? cool. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. How rude. I was like, have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't picture you with a hammer and saw and things like that. No, true. Yeah. Just a little knife doing a little bit of whittling. Yeah, good with woodwork. Okay. And they went on to have at least eight children. I <laughs> mean. Yeah, I know. I say at least eight. They were eight. busy. Yes, very. <laughs> uh, I say at least because... You know, sometimes you can't ever be sure that you haven't missed one or two off there somewhere that may have slipped between the cracks. Mm. But they only had two girls. One okay. of those was your ancestor, Anne, mm-hmm. who incidentally also married a cordwainer. Do you okay. know what a cordwainer They make, make rope. Oh, that's a good guess. But actually, it's pretty much another word for shoemaker. Oh, OK. I thought they were cobblers. What's a cobbler? Uh, well, a shoemaker makes shoes, right? So right. it generally works with leather. Um, I think men's shoes were mostly made with leather. Uh, but women's shoes, you know, silk and all sorts of fabric and things like that as well. Oh, so... yes, yes. I'm always wearing my silk shoes. <laughs> Aren't we all? We've all got a pair hidden <laughs> in the cupboard. Uh, but a cordwainer specifically seems to make shoes from leather. So oh, okay. a shoemaker, I guess, can make variety of shoes a cord wainer specifically leather uh-huh. and a cobbler is pretty much someone who just repairs the shoes ah oh, doing like the soles and stuff like that yeah yeah so i think there's some um disparaging remarks about cobblers and you know i guess it's a load of old cobblers and things <laughs> i think it's like a word used to kind of i guess someone who who doesn't know their trade well enough to make but can just fix or have some kind of issue like that poor cobblers Oh, you don't have to be so sad because your great 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 grandfather was a bona fide shoemaker. Yeah, the fancy one. All right. Okay. <laughs> By 1861, in the 1861 census, he was described as a general dealer. A dealer? A d- oh, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> What's he dealing in? Well, all sorts of different stuff. Oh. 
Oh. So a general dealer just pretty much sold anything. A, a bit like having a general store. Oh, um, okay. But he didn't necessarily have a store. He could have just kind of like got about on a cart and things like that. He just sold okay. lots of stuff. Whatever mm-hmm. he can get his hands on, I suppose, and he sold it. But he wasn't a stranger to the newspapers. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> Honestly, last week with Dave's family and the newspapers was so fun. So I'm excited to see what we come up with. Well, hopefully it's just as fun. Um, <laughs> maybe not as dramatic, particularly his, his time in Cheshire. Maybe not so dramatic, but, but enough incidents for to be like, wow, okay. Hopefully he's not as horrible as Dave's family. No, he does not seem to be as horrible okay, as good. Dave's. I don't, I'm not sure many could be. Uh, I think I did find a reference to an Edwin Whittaker in 1856, but I'm not completely sure that's him. Oh, okay. So I've kind of left it left it mm-hmm. off for now. But I'm pretty sure these these reports are of your guy. Uh-huh. Okay. So in 1863, yep. he had a bit of a, a run-in with furious driving. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean to you? Oh, nothing really, but I'm just imagining him in like a little brum, <laughs> a little brum car. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we are thinking 1863. Yeah. Sure so motor vehicles were such a thing. So... <laughs> I'll read the little article. It's just a little snippet. Edwin Whittaker of Sandbach was charged by PC Gordon with furiously driving a horse and cart. Oh, the horse and cart. Okay. Yeah, at Minchel Vernon, mm-hmm. uh, which is another little place, town, village, not sure exactly, but somewhere around there. On the 18th instant, it's on the 18th. This was, sorry, I should say, this was um, in the Cheshire Observer on the 3rd of October, 1863. So this okay. happened on the 18th of September, 1863. Uh-huh. Furiously driving a horse and cart at Minchel Vernon. He was <laughs> fined one shilling and 11... Well, this makes no sense to me. One shilling and 11 shillings costs. Oh, fined a shilling, and then he also paid 11 shillings costs. Uh-huh. Unless it's a bit, the, the report's a bit um, blurry, but I think that's what that means. But yeah, so do you think the furious driving is a genetic trait? No, not at all, actually. <laughs> We're all quite slow drivers, I think. That's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Uh, right, 1864 was a busy year. Okay. A busy year for Edwin. I might get you to read this one out because it's, it's, it's probably the nastiest. Oh, um, so I have to read it, Ali. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. No, go on, to... hit me. Share that screen. Oh, Edwin, he's been ill-treating a horse. He has. My goodness, he's now a coal dealer. He's still in Sandbach. Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just read it straight. <laughs> Edwin Whitaker, coal dealer of Sandbach, was ordered to pay four shillings and six pence costs for cruelly ill-treating a horse at Sandbach on the 16th of May last. last yes, month. I should probably point out that this article was also in the Cheshire Observer on the 18th of June, 1864. So he did this the previous month. Oh, they phrase things weirdly, don't they, back in the day? Mm. From the evidence of Superintendent Blake and Sergeant Holm, it appeared that defendant was going through Sandbach on the day in question with a large load of coals weighing 30... CWTs. Ali, what's a CWT? I looked that up because I was like, what the heck is that? All right. I looked it up and it's um, the shorthand for 100 weight. Oh. Yeah, do you remember 100 weight? <laughs> no. It was, a, it was a, a different weight that they had. So 30 100 weight CWT is yeah. 1,524 kilograms. That's Whoa. a lot of weight. I'm not sure how much horses usually 
can handle anyway but um that's a lot of weight that feels like a lot and then we have to find out with that weight it was drawn by a horse that was lame and unfit to work i know not nice is it edwin he promised to dispose of the horse and was let off with paying costs i know i've come across quite a few ill treatments of horse Mm -hmm. um horses in my in my research part of it's like well at least they recognize it's not nice and it's prosecuted but at the same time it's like yeah but you know just a horse (laughs) yeah they're not that bothered (laughs) i know you know different we've got to try not to judge the past so much but yeah Yeah. it doesn't sit well with me things that are not nice to animals i wonder why he was doing it like maybe i'm just backing up my relative here this is bad but (laughs) maybe he was not a very good coal dealer and (laughs) And he couldn't afford a better horse. And he was like, my God, to get my big weight of coal, I'm just going to have to have Gertrude pull it. I know she's not fit for it, but she's going to have to go for it. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah, my interpretation is the same. Yeah, that they generally finding it hard enough to make ends meet. Yeah. And they needed to move the coal. They could, you know, the horse could do a better job than them. But it's it's not nice. No, it's not nice. I'm glad they picked it up. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. So that's... What was that? June. No, May. That happened, and then mm-hmm. they were reporting on it. And you say that was the worst thing he did? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, to me, okay. I think so. <laughs> in, in my, with my morals, I think hurting an animal is terrible. Okay. One of the worst things you can do, I feel. Right, so later on in 1864, 23rd of July, it was reported in the Northwich Guardian. Mm-hmm which I guess is around there somewhere. And now he's a potato dealer. So we did say he was a general dealer and dealed in all sorts of stuff. I'm not convinced he's very good at any of these jobs. Poor Edwin. <laughs> <laughs> he's a trier. He's, he's a giving trier. it a go. <laughs> all right. So uh, on the 23rd of July, 1864, they reported Edwin Whitaker, potato dealer and coal dealer. Oh, so he's also a coal oh, dealer. Both. Okay. He's just diversified. General dealer. He's yeah exactly he's he's got his fingers in a lot of pies mm-hmm. edwin maybe he's selling pies oh, maybe <laughs> maybe he's getting the wife to make the pies and put them on the windowsill and anyway edwin whittaker potato dealer and coal dealer sandbatch was charged with having unjust weights oh. but the oh. case was dismissed okay so i don't know if you know a lot about that but um in the Victorian times, obviously, you'd sell things by, you know, those funky old scales yeah. that you, you see. And I think, you know, sometimes you could see the finger get put on because <laughs> mm-hmm. it balances it like, oh, look, look how much you're getting. And it, but in these cases, I think they also had like the weights would be kind of tampered with a little bit. Yeah. So you think you're getting a hundred weight, maybe not because we've established that's a lot, but you're getting like a pound or something, but it would only really be, I don't know what. Point nine of a pound or something like that they yeah. tried to get away with some dodgy practices the case was dismissed mm. they don't give me any more information than that who accused him i know he does well when he goes to trial really doesn't he he, well, he, he yes. goes the first time but got away with it with the horse got away with it with the weights mm-hmm. maybe he's mm-hmm. a smooth talker he oh yeah, he might be right again in 1864 this is now reported on the 10th of September. Mm-hmm. Edwin Whittaker was committed to the next Nutsford Sessions for stealing a cask. <gasps> for stealing a what? A cask. So like a cask oh, of wine? A cask. Okay. I guess. 
I don't think they put beer in casks, do they? Maybe wine, wine cask. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, wine. Committed for stealing a cask, the property of Mr's Clothes of Manchester. Uh-huh. Clow's Clothes. Mm-hmm. On the first day of January, 1863. Ah, so actually, this is a crime mm. accused the previous year. They're only yeah. just getting him for it. So wait, he was accused of it from the 1st of Jan. They're saying it happened on the 1st of January in 1863. New so Year's before. party, mate. It's a New Year's party <laughs> like we have every year. <gasps> so he was getting down with the Mr's clothes yeah, of Manchester. Yeah, <laughs> It was probably an accident, really, wasn't accident. it? <laughs> the prisoner was also committed for trial for stealing a whip, oh. the property of W. Woodward. Postmaster, Middlewitch. Mm. So it might be a separate night. Okay. <laughs> Let's see what was something else. Unless <laughs> it was a, a big New Year's. Maybe. Uh, Mr. David Harding stated that on the 3rd of December last, he had to attend a highway board meeting at Sandbatch and hired a chaise. I don't know how to put it. A chaise. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of chaise lounge, but yeah. it's like a um a, another kind of wagony type kind of horse wagon thing that you travel in okay hired a chase from mr woodward the whip was on the chase when he put up at the wheat sheaf the name of a pub or an inn but on his return there after the meeting it was gone Edwin, you can't just take the whip and it was also yes also was found by mr blake in the prisoner's house <laughs> Edwin. <laughs> not very good he's not very good at his crimes or his dealing is he well well actually the next one mm-hmm. you'll be pleased might to impress me yeah edwin whitaker 37 shoemaker so he's back to being described as a shoemaker mm. charged with stealing a cask the property of thomas close and others at sandbatch on january 1st 1863 yeah. and a whip the property of william woodward at sandbatch on december 3rd oh. 1863 okay. later, was acquitted he was acquitted. He got away with it again. He got away with it again. Edwin, how is he getting away with it? <laughs> he was caught literally red-handed. Oh my God, he's got the gift of the gab, I tell you. So your opinion is that he's guilty of these crimes and he's just getting away with 100%. it? 100%. <laughs> 100%. Edwin, what a naughty boy. But it not be, maybe someone's out to get him. Maybe someone's accusing him of all these things to bring down his honour. Maybe, but no. But they are all different people, really, aren't they? Yeah, they all are. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on to 1866 now. There was a fight. Uh-oh. I think you'll appreciate this. (laughs) The heading of an article, it starts off talking about a different person, which I won't read, but the heading of the article is Drunk and Riotous. And it talks about someone else. And then it says, A similar charge was preferred against Edwin Whitaker by Sergeant Holm. Hey, we met him before. That was the guy from before. Maybe it's Sergeant Holmes got it out of him. See, he was framed. Or Holm is on to him. Holm is like, this guy keeps (laughs) getting away with stuff. (laughs) Possibly. A similar charge was preferred against Edwin Whitaker by Sergeant Holm, who stated that about 12 o'clock on the 31st of May, which Monday, he saw defendant fighting with some other man on the Bradwell Road near the public institution. 
defendant in answer to the charges, said he was going home in company with his little boy when just as he turned the corner of the public institution, six or seven men whom he knew nothing of came up and knocked him down. He was also kicked and had his new hat stolen. That's the worst bit. That is the worst bit. In reply to the magistrates, he asserted that he was perfectly sober at the time and that not a word had passed between him and the men and that he had only within a day or two passed ascertained one of their names. So I didn't know who the hell these guys were. They just descended upon me and I've only just figured it out recently by asking around who one of them was. Yeah, seems plausible, Edwin. With a little boy, his little boy. Why would he be drunk and riotous mm. and, and you said it was at 12 does that mean like midday or midnight must be midday oh. the kids with him yes it would be midday i would say mm-hmm. on the 21st of may yeah i would, would have probably they'd probably say midnight okay. but honestly i don't know how much i believe edwin was the boy with the <laughs> policeman didn't say six or seven men beating up a man with a child with him well, well it goes on fighting. okay okay a witness was called Ooh who stated that he was going home when seeing the scuffle, he followed just behind Sergeant Holm and came up in time to see that Whitaker was upon the ground and being kicked. Oh, okay. So he was being kicked. As soon as Sergeant Holm came up, the men who were ill-using defendant ran away. Oh, so there was lots of men. Okay. Sergeant Holm said that when he first came up, he saw defendant strike another man first. Okay. And that he was knocked down after. <laughs> okay. So he tried to defend himself, maybe. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> maybe, uh... maybe. Yeah, true. You know, he may he may have seen it first, but he may not have seen what happened before then. Yeah. Mightn't he? The witness, being further questioned, said defendant was quite sober mm-hmm. as he stood talking to him whilst the police sergeant had gone in pursuit of the other men. He complained that his hat had been stolen. <laughs> you know, again, the worst bit. And he was at the time without one. Oh. Gracious me. The chairman said, as there seemed to be some doubt in the case, they would give defendant the benefit of it, and he was accordingly dismissed. (laughs) Of course he was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, okay, so I am thinking that uh, Sergeant Holm has got it in for him Mm -hmm. because he wasn't drunk. The witness says he wasn't drunk. No, he was quite sober. His hats are missing. Um, I'm wondering (laughs) what kind of a dapper hat it was, Ali. Any thoughts? What? Oh, I have no idea. What would the, the shoemaker's hat look like, I wonder? I immediately have this ridiculous notion of like a like a medieval type shoemaker, but obviously you wouldn't be wearing that in the in the Victorian uh, era. I hoped for a top hat. And, um, it's possible. Maybe give him an, an air be, of respect. Think, you know, it may be, I feel like as a wheeler dealer he would he would try to dress himself to look mm. maybe fancier than he is. That's a good point. I know. Was he? Did they say whether he was a, a coal dealer or a shoemaker at this God point? God knows. Is he a potato dealer? <laughs> <laughs> he could be anything. But he had a snazzy hat that these people <laughs> were particularly enamoured by, and they wished to beat him in order to to have the hat. Yeah. Hey, you! You with the fancy hat. Yes. Mm. Okay. Well, Sergeant Holm appears again later on mm-hmm. in 1866. So I don't know. You might be onto something here. But in the Sandbatch Petty Sessions in October, mm-hmm. he was brought up for obstructing the highway. <laughs> What's he done now? 
Edwin Whitaker was summoned by Police Sergeant Holm <gasps> for obstructing the highway by placing carts in Chapel Street Sandbatch. Find five shillings and costs. Right, so he's trying to do his job and Holmes rucking up and trying to nick him, <laughs> taking him to Petty Crimes. I think it is a well-named title of those sessions, the Petty Sessions, is that what they're called? <laughs> yes, the Holmes is a petty man. He <laughs> <laughs> does seem that way. But, you know, again, let's defend Holm a bit. He's he's cottoned on that Edwin Whitaker's a bad egg. Keeps, keeps getting away with all these things he's doing. He's getting frustrated. He's going to try and nail him on anything. He can. Honestly, I'm going back and forward. I'm back and forward. I don't know whether to trust Edwin or not. Well, it's like Al Capone. They got him on taxes, didn't they? So oh, they're going to try true. and get this naughty Edwin Whitaker on anything they can. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to 1870. So maybe Holm backed off a bit. Okay. Maybe we just didn't hear about it in the newspapers. But in 1870, a report on the 28th of September in the Chester Courant. I think Ooh. I'm pronouncing that correctly. Courant? Courant? Mm-hmm. Sandbatch Police Court, Saturday. Edwin Whitaker was committed to the House of Correction at Nutsford for two months' hard labour, charged with assaulting PC John Warmby. Oh, my God, I thought it was going to be home. Imagine if it was home. That would be good, wouldn't it? Uh, It was charged with assaulting PC John Warmby at Sandbatch on the 24th instant. Oh, Edwin, he didn't get away with that one, did he? He didn't seem to. The prisoner and two companions were met a little before four in the morning by the police officer in a meadow behind the prisoner's house. Each man was laden with a sack. Okay. As soon as they saw the officer, they threw down their sacks and the prisoner and a man named Alan, alias (laughs) Brown Jemmy, struck the constable with sticks. (gasps) Edwin! Warmby succeeded in securing Whitaker. I'm curious about the nickname Brown Jemmy. Brown Watty? Brown Jemmy, J-E-M-M-Y. Brown Jemmy. Mm. So his name was Alan, like his last name was Alan. Yeah. They called him Brown Jemmy. Good old Brown Jemmy. Amazing. Well, there's more to it. Okay. Right, we might be onto something here mm-hmm. because... This newspaper focuses on Edwin, doesn't it? Edwin Whitaker was committed to the House of Correction for this, right? Yeah. But in the same time, so about 1st of October, the Runcorn Examiner Mm -hmm. focuses on the other guy, Brown Jemmy. Alan Brown Jemmy. (laughs) Well, Alan alias Brown Jemmy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, maybe different, maybe it's far enough removed to not have this vendetta against poor Edwin. Yeah, okay, okay. Okay, so this is a little bit more information. Charge of assaulting a police officer. James Allen. So that's obviously where the Jemmy comes from. Still not sure about the brown. Mm. Is it skin colour? Is it reputation? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But anyway, James Allen Sandbatch was summoned for assaulting PC Warmby. Mm -hmm. The officer said that on the 24th of September, about four o'clock in the morning. Oh, 4 (laughs) a.m.? No, they're not up to no good at that yes, time. They are, are they? with sacks. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> he was crossing a field at Sandbatch when he met the defendant and two other men, each having a load of something on their backs. Mm-hmm. On his approaching them, Edward Whitaker, one of the men, Edward they called him in this one, mm-hmm. and the defendant dropped their bags and attacked him with sticks. <laughs> the defendant struck at him with a stick, but he moved out of the way to avoid the blow. And whilst struggling with Whitaker, he was struck with a stone. 
which Ooh. came from the direction of the defendant, so Brown Jemmy. <laughs> a man and his wife, oh. in whose house the defendant lodged, so it's a little bit confused. This is they're talking about okay. Brown Jemmy Brown here. Jemmy, yeah. So he was lodging in the man and his wife's house. Mm-hmm. Um, deposed that at the time named, the defendant was in bed. Oh, alibi. Didn't do it. He was in bed. Mr. Cook Jr. appeared to defend the defendant and contended that there was no direct evidence that he threw the stone and that there was strong evidence that the defendant was not out at all on the Friday morning at the time stated. Wow. Mr. Latham said that there was not the slightest doubt that the defendant was out that night and that he threw the stone. I think that sounded like there was a bit of doubt. (laughs) No, No doubt. The defendant was committed to prison for two months with hard labour. Whitaker, who did not appear and who was charged with the same offence, was committed to prison for a like term. So, mm-hmm. same thing. Mm. So, what are your thoughts mm. on Edwin? Well, yeah, really up to no good. Four in the morning with a sack of something on your back. As soon as a police person turns up, you drop it and beat them up. That <laughs> is very dodgy. I see what Holm was seeing now. Yeah. <laughs> I've gone back onto the police side now. I think I'm going to be back and forth many more times, but Edward Faulty <laughs> Boy is what I'm learning from this. Well, this is pretty much, it's not the last newspaper article I've got, but this is the last one we hear of his, his shenanigans. Okay. I also think it's interesting that you thought that using his lame horse was worse than beating up a policeman. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean. These, that's why I say my morals. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I feel like... Um, They're both bad. Yeah, I just feel like people can maybe defend themselves. A bit okay, more. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. Okay. Again, you know, horses can kick as well, but he, he was lame. It was yeah, lame. It was a very unwell horse. <laughs> now, 1871. Okay. It's not an article, but he's with his wife in the 1871 census mm-hmm. in Sandbach. And he's recorded as a shoemaker. Okay, he's gone back to the trade. Okay. <laughs> he's like, this isn't working yeah. out. Maybe maybe I should stick to the shoes. Uh-huh. <laughs> All this dealing's getting me into bad, bad business. <laughs> All right. So he's with his wife. They've got four, oh, three children living with them mm-hmm. uh, and a grandson. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I apologise. Sorry. They've got two of their children living mm-hmm. with them and their daughter-in-law so a son and his wife and their child two-month-old baby Mm. right so 1871 in sandbach shoemaker a few months later edwin decides to emigrate to america wow oh i have a vague recollection of naughty things happening in america well (laughs) maybe maybe not but um here to speculate why he may have moved to America. Um, maybe Holm was just totally onto him. He's like, <laughs> country. This guy is just coming up. They're onto me. <laughs> this bird's got to fly. Um, no, maybe there's a better potato trade there. I don't know. <laughs> I have to say here, I have no idea. Um, I have no information on why uh, he moved, but he emigrated with his son, Samuel. Okay. Okay. Samuel was also a shoemaker. Mm -hmm. Of course. Two shoemakers trying their luck. But they left everyone else at home. (gasps) So it's just... (laughs) 
Edwin and his son, mm -hmm. and they went to America aboard the Algeria. Okay. I've got a picture of the Algeria you? that I can show you. I I'd love have. to see it. Let me just share it with um, you. Can you put it into context for me? When was Titanic? 1912, uh, I think, Titanic. Oh, okay, was. so this was like way before that. Yeah, this the is 70s, still... The 1870s, 71. Yeah, 1871 this is. Okay. Wow, so to describe it, it's like a small rowing boat. It's not, Vicky. Look <laughs> again. It's a massive <laughs> ship, actually. That's pretty big. It's got several sails. It does look like it's wooden, yes, though. Yes. I think I can see some like panels there. But it, it is a sail. But I think there's also uh, a funnel there. It's, like, so it's a steam. Oh, yeah. I think it's partly steam-powered, partly not. You can find out more about that elsewhere but i think it's nice to kind of put that like you had a picture of the titanic in your head and I this did. is obviously anything it's but smaller than that um, <laughs> but yes yeah, nice to know it's a hybrid model actually very modern well that's my interpretation i should probably um look into that again i, I found that um from uh, the website heritage ships so they went to america aboard the algeria it was a new ship by the way uh-huh the algeria was a new okay. ship launched the previous year so pretty brand new and this is one of the one of the first voyages so left wife sarah and all the other children behind yeah, yeah. maybe do you think maybe they'll join him later um depend maybe he's like i'll go and see how i do because my track record is not great so <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to uproot you all let, let me get settled yeah maybe yeah let's get things sorted get a place to live then you can all come over yeah. all right so they left england on the 27th of june i think that was liverpool they left departed mm -hmm. from and they arrived in New York on the 8th of July, 1871. Wow. Okay. New York, New York. So that must have been a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. But I imagine him coming in. What was the Statue of Liberty at that time? Mm, I'm bad at history, mate. I don't know. Hmm, good question. I'm picturing him arriving in the port with the Statue of Liberty. However, I thought, I thought, oh, I'll have a look and see if I can find his... Um, Ellis Island records because everyone mm. always talks about Ellis Island but apparently there was three ports so he didn't appear on any of the Ellis Island records I do have his passenger list okay. um, that shows him and his son uh, traveling aboard that's how I know the dates and, wow. and things like yeah. that um, but yeah he arrived in New York one of the three ports that they received mm -hmm. okay. ships at but he didn't oh. stay there so they traveled to Lowell in Massachusetts. Okay, I've looked up Massachusetts. It's not too far from New York. It's still on that same coast. It's just up a bit. According to the modern map, it's about a 72-hour walk, so 216 miles Did they based walk on there? modern roads. I don't know. This is this is what I was wondering. So they arrived in New York, 8th of July. Yeah. And they travelled to Lowell and arrived there the 11th of July. So it's only a couple of days. Oh, they must so, have hitched somehow. Well, I would imagine, I did think walking, but they could, again, could have got a wagon. Yeah. I don't know about the trains at that point. I'm not sure. I know they were building train lines and stuff. Oh, they could have just taken another boat along the coastline. Could have been a boat. Couldn't they? And gone around up to Boston mm. and, and into Lowell. So it's quite, Lowell's quite near Boston. And in America, they don't know his track history with being mean to horses. He would have said, <laughs> yeah, I know my horses. I've never stolen a whip or used a lame horse. <laughs> well, I would imagine he wouldn't be uh, driving the horse. Is that the term that That's you use? That's true. When you're 
Yeah, he would just be hiring passage like a taxi or a bus, like a pooch, <laughs> pooch ride. Um, but have you ever heard of Lowell? No. I hadn't either, actually. 220 miles away from New York. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they went there? Why did they not just stay in New York? Not a clue. Maybe it was too bustling for him. I don't know. It was immediate removal, though, wasn't it? It was like straight away. Yeah, he'd planned, planned to go to famous Lowell. Well, I did a bit of research on Lowell to see okay. if, if I could find some clues. And Lowell had started as a mill town in the 1820s, so mm-hmm. around about the time he was born. Uh, and by the 1850s, Lowell had the largest industrial complex in the United States. Okay. So it was a pretty big industrial centre. So it was it was the business. So he could have been going for any of his trades, the shoes, the coal, the potatoes, <laughs> any of them. Possibly, but... I did find the textile industry wove cotton produced in the southern United States. Uh, and in 1860, there were more cotton spindles in Lowell than in all 11 states combined that would form the Confederate States of America. Wow. That was a pretty big place. Mm-hmm. And they continued to thrive. The city continued to thrive as a major industrial center during the 19th century, attracting more migrant workers and immigrants to its mills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a great place for Edwin. If he's heard about it, I see why he's gone. Well, shoes is cotton. So obviously they're trading in cotton. That's, you know, fashion, fabric making stuff, materials, shoes, Mm -hmm. not too, not too far removed. Well, he's got he's a man of many talents, Ali. He's got many talents. <laughs> he definitely, well, he definitely is. <laughs> he tries. You know that. <laughs> but apparently, I looked a little further, mm-hmm. and apparently, shoemaking was an important trade in Massachusetts. I bet. I bet it was. Okay. Between 1860 and 1900, mm-hmm. Massachusetts firms provided over 40 percent of the shoe employment in the country. Well, there we go. He's perfect for him. That was, I will put up some links later to, to some of this information, some interesting little sites about how the shoe industry involved, mm-hmm. uh, involved, evolved. They were largely made by hand shoes until the 1850s. So obviously, you know, I would imagine Edwin probably learned his trade by hand, mm-hmm. largely completed his trade by hand. And then special sewing machines were invented. And I, I looked up this and there's a, a man called Blake Lyman Reed, who mm-hmm. was actually in Massachusetts as well, not Lowell, but. You know, not not too far from this this area, mm-hmm. and he invented a special sewing machine. So he worked for Singer actually. I think oh. his brother was a shoemaker, mm-hmm. and he used to go around and help people set up their sewing machines. I think to use this basic thing and show people how to use it to stitch the shoes. Mm-hmm. And he ended up inventing a way so that you could. I'm. This is very basic here. I'm probably getting it all wrong, but my understanding of it to like stitch inside the shoe at the same time. Okay. So as you can imagine, you can't really get a needle inside the shoe mm-hmm. and poke it through to yeah. the outside. Yeah, but obviously these machines were somehow able to do it. There's a, it's, it was fairly interesting. You can, I'll, I might put some links up about that. Well. Just Google Blake. Blake Lyman Reed. Okay. So by the 1890s, the process was pretty much totally mechanised. Oh, okay. So our boys will be out of a job unless they learn how to use machines possible unless i don't you know we don't know maybe they did have some understanding of machines mm. but I, I don't, it's i don't know i'm thinking probably little experience with the machines so mm. 1871 it's, it's fairly new these machines yeah. but anyway they arrive in new york get mm-hmm. to lowell a few days later as we've mm-hmm. established yeah 
on the 13th of July, mm-hmm. however, there is a terrible, sad mm-hmm. report oh, in the no. newspaper. Yeah, I'm afraid this is not a fun one. Okay. So I'm going to put on my serious tone. Yes, okay. um, it's quite, quite upsetting. I think I'll just read it straight. I'm readying myself for this terrible news. Okay. Uh, basically starts off, this was, sorry, I should say, the Lowell Daily Citizen and News, mm-hmm. July 13th, 1871. A suicide. Oh. At about eight o'clock last evening, Edwin Whittaker, an Englishman who came to this city yesterday, committed suicide at the house of William Dubois. It says Dubois. I'm wondering if it's a mistake for Dubois. Mm. Um, du- William Dubois. Committed suicide at the house of William Dubois on Charles Street, where he had temporary lodgings. Mm-hmm. He used a shoe knife in perpetrating his rash act, with which he severed one of the large arteries on the right side of his neck. Medical assistance was at once summoned, but arrived too late to be of any successful service. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate man expiring in about 15 minutes after the act. Okay. Dr. Chandler, who was called, learned from a son of the deceased. Samuel. We know it. Yeah. Who was boarding in the same house that he and his father were among a company of 15 emigrants from England Mm -hmm. who arrived in New York on Saturday last and in this city yesterday in search of work. That his father had been depressed in spirits during the journey and being unsuccessful in obtaining work here, mm. he was probably driven to his rash act by sheer despondency. He was 47 years of age. 47. Oh, Edwin. Oh, Tried all his life to find where he fit. Tried all mm. sorts of things, didn't he? Going all the way to America. Yeah, it seems, it does seem like, did he give it much of a go? He just arrived there. Like... Yeah. And then to say, I'm unless they were sugarcoating things. I was, he was depressed in spirits during the journey. So mm-hmm. I would imagine maybe he left, maybe things went really bad for him I in the yeah. sandbatch. Stakes and... must have been high and he mm. needed work quickly. Yeah. Oh, poor Sam. I feel, like, I feel like he could have given it longer than a day. Yeah, but, but like, yeah, his, like Samuel's rocked up. With his dad, and then his dad's just killed himself. Mm. It makes it even harder for him. Oh, man. Yeah. And using a shoe knife. Oh, it's quite brutal. They don't report the details these days, do they? They don't like to give people ideas, but back in the day. How do you feel about this, Vicky? Feel sad for Samuel. Yeah, I think he. I think he's tried a lot. I imagine it's the um, being terrorised by Sergeant Holm for all those years. It's uh, affected his spirits. He's tried one last time to branch out, done a big journey on a ship, probably wasn't very nice, got there, was rubbish, and he went, now nah, I'm done. Yeah, had enough of this. Mm-hmm. Too hard. Bye-bye. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so I'm very intrigued as to how Samuel does without him, though, because I think I think he's in a tough spot. Mm. Well, you'll be very interested. Since this episode was getting quite long, it seemed like a natural place to break here. Please join us for part two, where we learn about Samuel's new life in America and how the Whitaker family story takes another tragic turn.